Welcome to Ed Ideas, relevant conversations for Christian education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction-setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew Scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is we bear the image of God. Welcome to Ed Ideas. This is Brandon Tatum. Today you're going to get to hear my interview with Mark Matlock after he presented at the Museum of the Bible. Great, great presentation. I don't know how you have a conversation on Generation Z and not have Bart on the stage. And so I appreciate what Bart is doing um, in your research and trying to help us uh, navigate this world. We still have things to clean up. Screen disciple is a fascinating term. Uh, I know that Many churches are seeing a decline in church attendance, but an uptick on online viewership. Um, that has been true uh, for a lot of different denominations and different churches. What, what do you think is going on there? What does that mean for us? Well, we have a lot of people that are in the habit of going to church, right? That's what we call the, that one group habituals. And so there are a lot of people that feel like, well, I just, if I can just check that box today that I went to church. There's a line that we have in the, in the book that I think is a, a really great observation, but uh, something I felt really passionate about in terms of designing church. Um, but if, if the service can happen without a live audience being present, it probably doesn't need to be a part of the program. And the reality is that a lot of our church programs could be streamed without anybody actually being in attendance. Worship can be sung, messages can be given. And the reality is that this generation wants to connect. They want to interact. They want to make and create together. And so, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that we see an uptick, perhaps, in an online viewing, because it's like, hey, this is all church is. But if church was something more, if church required or demanded my presence, what would that be like? So my son's in marching band. And, uh, or when he was in high school, he was in marching band. And I was always impressed because they would do these like four a days, uh, you know, during the summer in Texas heat, standing on asphalt. They all had to be at their dot. And I watched their practice. And I mean, all the band director had to do was go, get on your mark. Okay, take a quick water break. And everybody ran to their water. They took their sips and they got back on their marks. And my son would wake up and he would get there early to be ready for practice. And I was just so impressed. And I'm sitting there then looking at our youth group, and you can't get these guys to do anything. You know, they're like just sitting there lounging around, and you know, it's like, all right, everybody, come on, we gotta get together, it's time for the message or whatever the case is. And I'm going, what is the difference in expectation? And I realized, well, one thing my son knows, I have a place, I have a role to play in this system. If I let if I don't do what I've been made to do here and play my part, the whole system suffers. So I have to be responsible to other people. A lot of our church uh, opportunities don't require that of young people. Uh, they don't require us of us as adults either most of the time. Um, we don't know what role we contribute. What do I contribute to this thing? My son knew. I am on this dot. 
I'm on that mark. Other people are taking their cues based on what they see me doing out of their peripheral vision. Um, my, my instrument is vital, the sound that's being made and the other audio cues that we have, he had to be there. He had clear expectations and he knew I was a part of it. Um, and I, I think that a lot of our church doesn't require that. We literally can be passive, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and that's one of the things I actually love. I, I know many of you come from the Church of Christ tradition. And uh, I, I love the, the vocal worship. And I know that it's real controversial, but it's like you can hear all these voices. That's something you can't do just listening at home playing a Spotify worship list. Uh, I have to be an active part of that, and I, I, I love that aspect of it. But I think we have to be thinking about church in terms of how are we all contributing? What is the part that I play? What, if, what is the body of Christ dependent on me for? I will show up for that. Um, our, our, our church actually, the youth group said to the parents, Okay, we have three things that they can do. We have life groups, we have small groups, and we have Wednesday night. If you have to make a priority between all three of those things, our, pri our priority for you is that you would get them into the small group experience. That's where they're going to go the deepest. They're going to form the biggest bonds. Then it would be the life group experience. Last would be the Wednesday night big group thing. And it was interesting to watch my son. He would knock himself over to be a part of that small group because he knew there's only six of us. I'm a part of that conversation. I'm vital to its success. Um, but in the large group thing, whether he's there or not, really doesn't matter. It's still going to go on and happen. So interesting to kind of look at some of those dynamics. From a, from a school perspective, what are things we can do in screen discipleship? What does that look like for us? Yeah, I think um, helping students uh, steward their screens. Right, and really helping them think. One of the books that we've done at Barnes is with Andy Crouch on the TechWise family, and he is he as a father kind of set some kind of the Ten Commandments of Tech for their family. Really valuable stuff. One of them is we're going to uh, create more than we consume. That's a value for their family in the way that they use technology. So if technology is helping me create, great. If it's helping me consume, then that's going to be marginalized. And so I think we have to be teaching um, our, our, our children kind of the spiritual discipline of technology. It's not bad, it's, it's neutral, but I need to realize that just like the clock was created to help me pray uh, at, our, at a certain rhythm every day, now the clock runs our lives, right? Same thing can be true with screens. They can help us grow closer to God and connect with each other. They can also run our lives and keep us from being human. So I think we have to help um, help students do that and develop those disciplines, and help moms and dads do that too, because they don't know. I uh, probably two years ago, uh, President Ekman is here from York College, and he asked me a question that that uh, changed a lot of my thinking. And the question was, if your school went away tomorrow, if your school closed down tomorrow, would the mayor of your city care? I think that's a great question for a lot of our schools. If our school went away tomorrow, would the mayor care? The answer for me, honestly, at that point was no, he wouldn't care. And so that got me thinking a lot, and I spoke at a Christian university, and I asked a group similar to this to stand up if when you were in high school you felt empowered to bear God's image in your church community, your faith communities. And almost everybody stood up, which was great. And then they sat back down and I said, if you were in high school, uh, did you help solve a city, state, or global problem? And two people stood up out of 2,000. 
it's, and, and it's not just that fairing God's image of solving city and state global problems, but there is this disconnect between what it means for me to bear God's image, or at least what is expected of me to bear God's image, and actually how I'm impacting the neighbors and the people in my community. And I think that's something we have to wrestle with as Christian schools, because we, we have spent a lot of time thinking about teaching you a worldview, mm -hmm. or talking to you about certain things, and we haven't probably done as good a job of as empowering you to live out your God-given humanity. Yeah, it goes to that last point about being good and goodness. Um, you know, for, for people that are lost and, and that aren't believing, goodness is probably the only thing that really draws them to us. I've spent more time since I stepped out of my, my role as executive uh, director of youth specialties, I spent more time with people that are out unchurched and dechurched uh, over the last four years than I have in my entire ministry career. And the one thing that people will respond to us and seek us out on is because they saw something good in us. And so um, we've, God's kind of granted us some favor in the food and beverage industry uh, in Dallas. And we have a lot of uh, wait staff, chefs, bartenders that have kind of gotten to, to know us because as we became empty nesters, we started frequenting uh, restaurants a lot more. And, um, and they started inviting us to go out with them after hours and stuff like that and hang out. And we were doing premarital counseling uh, with some, saving some marriages. Um, crying with people that were lo losing things, and um, and I go, why did why did you guys invite us? And they're like, you're just really good. You're just people we wanted to, we wanted to be like. We saw you and your wife, and we're just like, man, I want, we want to be around them more. And we don't realize how much good Jesus does when He's living inside of us, and um, and we need to really help people experience that. My dad's an architect, and he designs a lot of churches in California, and uh, a lot of his time is spent arguing with city boards and city councils that don't want a church built in their neighborhood. And it's a terrible apologetic when there's not a sense of, man, when you have a church in your neighborhood, good stuff happens. Like, you know, the crime goes down and people are cared for and, you know, there's, there's less poverty and whatever. We have to think about how we are manifesting good because that is... Uh, that, is, that, that probably is, is a stronger apologetic than anything else we can do in today's day and age. I really like um, your vocational research uh, because I think it is relevant to us, applicable to us, because we are forming kids. Yes, we're, we're forming a lot of our children to go into to college, not all of our children, but even when we are forming them to go into college, there, there is that vocation, especially this generation, really thinking about making money, being white stewards, financial resources. Uh, if, if, how could we do a better job of identifying our kids' God-given gifts early and then connecting that to real-life workplace experience and even occupational leaders? So I started asking myself this question several years ago. We, David and I were really starting to see this theme of vocational discipleship emerge. And um, I started playing a game with people on the airplane. It's called You Must Be a Christian. And so, you know, when you meet somebody on a plane, I travel a lot, uh, you know, at some point you say, so what do you do for a living, right? And whenever I would say I was a minister, it always shut the relationship down, the conversation. So I kind of, you know, started saying other things like, oh, I'm a researcher, or I'm a nonprofit consultant, or whatever. But when anybody would tell me what they did, I would always respond to them with, oh, you must be a Christian. And they would always shake their head in confusement and bewilderment. Why would, why would you think that I was a Christian? Because I am a corrugated engineer. 
they designed cardboard boxes. And, uh, and, and then what it did was it put me in a position to try and connect the dots between what they did and qualities of Christ, okay? And so I would then have to explain this to them, right? And, um, and what it did for me, that, that habit of doing that, um, not only was it a great way to actually talk about faith in a really different kind of a way, in a way that was interesting to other people, that, where they were actually pulling me into the conversation, um, but it got me in the habit of realizing how little we as ministers know how to integrate faith and work. We always see calling as you're going to be a missionary, a pastor, a youth pastor, or a worship leader. You know, we have like a, a few buckets, right? Um, and we never say, well, you know what? When you're a doctor, you're healing people. You know, you're, you're, you're being the hands and feet of Jesus. You're going into the sciences. Uh, you're actually like able to help feed the hungry by, by maybe figuring out um, new ways to fertilize and grow crops more productively uh, under more stressful conditions. Um, uh, my friend Mike King uh, was in the room earlier here. Uh, he's a youth worker and he does stuff in the Museum of the Bible. And he was telling me about a guy who does renovations. And he had started a conversation with him saying, you know, well, that sounds like a real kingdom of God thing that you're going into these broken neighborhoods and you're helping restore them. And so how are we helping kids think about urban planning and built space as a way to experience life on earth as it is in heaven? Um, if we start thinking about vocations that way, it really captures the imagination of, of, of our, our young people. And I think we do have to do a lot of work. Um, I'm a really big fan of um, doing assessments with kids. So in today's world, there are so many bad options for career paths, get rich quick scheme, become famous, you know, whatever. And, and there's whole new economies now. I mean, I'm learning all about, you know, how much money you can make with an Instagram account and it blows my mind. Um, I've got this, this, this teenager in my church is pulling down 70K a year playing Minecraft. Um, and, um, you know, the, the imaginations are great, but identifying those skills, identifying those core motivations, who God made them to be, and then helping them live into that and helping them redeem that, really powerful. And so if we can use some of those assessments early on in life to help them start defining their careers and having that conversation with them, how would you glorify God in that way? How would you make God known in that way? And it's not have a Bible study at work or if I was into film making Christian movies. Um, we, we have to be careful not to get too like polarizing in that way, but really helping them think about, oh, I'm telling the stories of people you know, that, that may be oppressed or, or whatever the case is, and, and, and really helping them. And once again, the danger of all this stuff is it kind of sounds sometimes social gospel-y and, and, not, and, and, and unfor that's unfortunate. Because those two things should never be a, a diametrically opposed to one another. Um, they, they should, we should be good in the work that we're doing as we're sharing the gospel. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of a turn in, you know, we have, uh, probably a lot of us have campus ministers or spiritual life directors, and I've seen a turn a little bit in kind of doing away with those titles and, and turning those titles more into like director of student culture. Because... When you say I'm director of student life, you're you're kind of you're not saying this, but you're kind of saying, oh, there's a there's a spiritual life and there's a non-spiritual life, and you're over you oversee the spiritual life part of my life, and instead of trying to kind of create a more holistic approach to all of that. Well, I did some consultation with a Christian school in California that was trying to figure out how to do their spiritual formation part of their their school, and you know, like so many, they had curriculum and you know and all this and. 
I said, what if you grade on a participation score as opposed to a, did you get everything right? And it was more about them talking about their spiritual journey and formation rather than it being about facts and, you know, and information and can you write a paper on this? And the, there's not so much a right or wrong answer as much as it is this is your journey and your experience. Um, and, um, and they experiment with some of that to some good success uh, because um, they, were, they were doing too many things on, you know, people were faking the spiritual scores to get the grade uh, rather than just participating fully. What about any specific gifts assessments that you've used for kids? Yeah, uh, the, um, there's actually a new one that Barna's connected to. It's called True Motivate. It hasn't fully been launched. We're still experimenting with it. And if there's anybody who would like to be guinea pigs and play around with us on this, we would uh, love to talk to you about it. But um, basically, it, uh, it's like a layer below Strengths Finders, uh, where Strength Finders kind of, I believe we build strengths to achieve our motivational drives. So I have a drive to explore. That means that um, when I go on Google, I can get lost for hours, uh, and I never have to do anything with what I explore. I can just go out there and explore just for the sake of exploring. I'm motivated to do that. Um, if I have a job that doesn't allow me to do some exploration in whatever it is that I'm doing, I will die. Uh, and, um, and knowing that about myself is really important. I've developed certain strengths that give me the ability to explore in the things that I do. Um, but understanding that core motivation was really key to me, understanding where I was being frustrated in my work, uh, types of work that wasn't a good fit for me. And, uh, and so we, we put together a thing that's based on a, 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 a program called SEMA that was typically only used among high-level executive, uh, executives that could afford the process. The technology allowed us to bring it down and make it more accessible on, and affordable uh, on a lower level. It explores a library of, of uh, 27 motivational themes that motivate us in the way they blend together to make us who we are. And literally, it's, it's how we're motivated to glorify God, to make him know, to pursue his mission. And we just recently at True Motivate mapped those motivations in with uh, the, uh, uh, what's the database of all the vocations? Anyway, we just did a big project to, to tie those in so we can actually tie their motivational profiles to actual careers. So that's a new, new, new feature that we're offering. That'll be available probably next year. Have you seen any in your research anything that talks about Christian schools uh, impacting spiritual resilience? Have you, have you seen anything like that? Um, we may have done some work on that at Barna. Um, I know that we did uh, uh, we did a lot of stuff on higher Christian higher education, um, and uh, I'm not familiar though with that data set, so I couldn't speak to it with any kind of authority or accuracy. That, that's that's fine. Uh, I know Dudley Chancy has done some of that. Yes. Know Dudley. And Dudley has, has shown that there is a significant correlation there between Christian schools and resiliency and spirituality. Um, and I, I couldn't see how that couldn't be the case. Right, yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Remember, there is his books are in the back. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.